I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch Bird Suicide. It was the night, and I'm the first to admit it. I'm sure I upset someone, but my memory has chosen to admit it. <laughs> I, I was wondering uh, in our intro if you're like trying to get softer than me is like to try to sh- to try to really show me that I'm too loud. <laughs> like, I, you know, I did my I'm Aaron Armstrong and you're like, I'm Pete Moran. <laughs> like I, I'm doing FM DJ. You're doing uh, NPR like at midnight. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, NPR at midnight because you don't want to wake the uh, sleeping Ira Glass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You should tell people. Uh, I actually know the reason why you're talking a little quieter. Uh, your your girlfriend's sleeping right next to you and you're recording in the bed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the rest of the house is getting sprayed by termites. Not by termites, for termites. The termites would be terrible at uh, their own genocide. Yeah. And the termites are, of course, filling the closets. And uh, yeah, it's just it's a really tough situation. But uh, I'm getting by just fine. She's not. She's oh she's not at all no she's just now hitting me over and over and over again in and around the face yeah it's gonna be a long episode uh, and also we're going for five hours tonight um, <laughs> for her sake yeah well we assume there's gonna be a lot of interruptions that need to get edited out for you know very reasonable on her end little fights in the middle <laughs> sort of like the psychologist in the movie we're gonna talk about today uh, Goke body snatcher from hell or as Aaron likes to call it Goke. Body Snatcher from Hell. Uh, I also um, like to call it Gok, uh, Body Snatcher of Hell. <laughs> Whatever the title is. I, I got it wrong on the last two two episodes where we were announcing that we were doing it. And I'm finally ready to nail it tonight. Let's go back to the Godzilla vs. Hedera episode and see who looked like a fool with their pronunciations. Hedora sounds better. Is that what you said? I remember what. I know everyone was saying different things, and we never we never reconciled it until the podcast was over. Maybe that's because everybody in the movie says different things. <laughs> that's fair, then. That's a fair point. I think there's Hedra and... The Smog Monster. Uh, yeah, Smog Monster. <laughs> I was saying Hedora, which almost no one says uh, in the movie, maybe. Maybe no one. You were also uh, saying Godzilla, which we kept <laughs> telling you was wrong. I'm also uh, someone who, as soon as I found out that... The Roland Emmerich uh, Godzilla was nicknamed Zilla. Uh, I proceeded to call all Godzilla movies uh, Zilla films uh, just because it kind of annoyed Zach. Yeah, he had to correct you and then you didn't stop. (laughs) People will start saying that once uh, I get I get to this and once we get I get to my audience and start uh, start telling our audience of, you know, dozens of people start calling it Zilla. We can overcome two continents of fans. Yeah, one of our upcoming theme months is going to be Zilla Month, so, um, and we're only going to be talking about the Rodan movies. Um, <laughs> anyway, speaking of what month we're doing, Peter, this this is actually like I feel like we put some thought into the titles 
of our months. And this one, I, I keep saying, is that what we're calling it? Because I don't feel I don't feel really confident about it. It was just a hey, let's do a bunch of really fucking weird, crazy movies. And in our in our Google Docs that we have a ton of movies listed in, we just we named it Bug Nuts. And then I never felt great about that, but then we never really changed it. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Because also, I haven't seen half the movies this month, so I didn't really know what the uniting theme other w- was other than insane movies that didn't fit in any other theme. And I want to, <laughs> I haven't told you this, I want to propose a new name for this month. I have an idea. Okay. Kitchen Sink Month. Okay. Explain explain your uh, terminology for me, please. It feels like now there's one of these I haven't seen, so this might not apply to Fantastic Planet, but of the three movies that... I have seen that we're doing, which is this, uh, Haosu and Southland Tales, they all feel like movies that kind of throw the kitchen sink into it. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, Goke, at least, uh, is incredibly dense narratively. Like it, it, it just has strange SFX set piece after strange SFX set piece. It kind of reminds me of Life Force in that regard. It's less concerned with the zombies having real rules than it is concerned with uh, having the zombies do cool things. Yeah, and I think that's the same. Like, I know it's been a while for both of us seeing Southland Tales. Like, there's so much going on in that movie. There's so much going on in Hautsu. It feels like, so if we're if we're going to narrow down, like, what kind of crazy movies, we're not necessarily doing movies where the, the protagonist is crazy. We're doing movies where the movie itself is kind of just throwing everything at you, which results in kind of a, a bug nuts, crazy movie watching experience. Yeah, it's it's a uh, sort of a feast for the senses yeah. in that regard, and by that I mean um, two of them, just sight and sound. You don't lick your screen. <laughs> I've been missing out on a dimension of this of movies. I didn't know you could lick your screen. What does this movie taste like? Yeah, it, now this is true. Like it doesn't matter what movie. Like it'd be great if it only applied to crazy movies, but any movie, if you lick the screen, you're gonna get a little bit of a static shock. But if you only do it for crazy movies. You'll go, oh my gosh, there's something extra in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> this movie's got bite. Yeah. And depending on how uh, well your cords are maintained, like, that could kill you eventually. <laughs> and then that's the best movie. The best movie is uh, one that doesn't just change the course of your life. The best movie is that uh, one that literally ends your life. I, that's, I, that's still a change in course. Yeah, it's 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 a dead stop in course, I guess. But. Yeah, like if a plane crashes, that's a change in course. It's just change course down <laughs> too fast. That'd be the worst pilot. Just like, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're going to have to have a slight uh, change in our flight path today. We're not going to be going to O'Hare International Airport. We're actually going to be uh, uh, landing right there in that that uh, field of corn. Um, yeah, we're going to be heading there right now. <laughs> yeah, he'd still he'd still drag it out all the way to the end. <laughs> I'd like it if you went, hey, guys, uh, I'm going to try to make it to China by going through the center of the earth. <laughs> Just hold on tight while we accelerate. Uh, all my calculations say this is going to work. <laughs> he's, he's like, I, I watched Interstellar on the flight, and uh, I folded a piece of paper over, <laughs> poked a pen through it, and uh, yeah, the, the math checks out. So we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and uh, fly fly right through the Earth. Was, was he watching? Was he watching it on this flight? Maybe. Listen, this is why I've said this for years. Don't let pilots watch Interstellar mid-flight. <laughs> 
They've got a job to do. I don't know why they have those those film screens they can pull down over the windshield in the cockpit. It just seems like a terrible idea. It seems ill-conceived, yes, but do you know how boring flying a plane is? Uh, no, no one lets me. It seems kind of cruel to let them have to sit in that ugly box with all those lights and switches for like hours on end. It seems kind of cruel to make them sit up there with no entertainment. I think it's more cruel to make them watch Interstellar on every flight. <laughs> And apparently gives them some funky ideas about how uh, regular plane flying works. Yeah, this this November, guys, vote for whichever candidate will ban mandatory screenings of Interstellar for pilots <laughs> mid-flight. Like, I'm a one-issue <laughs> voter for that specifically. Uh, if that were actually an issue, I would hope all of us are one-issue voters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or drive exclusively. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, you know, some people look up to like helicopter pilots and, you know, like Harrison Ford is like a helicopter pilot and he's like rescued people before. And yeah. some people look up to the skies and think about like, you know, uh, you know, the character Snoopy, he looks up to pilots. Uh, <laughs> yep. I'm aware of Snoopy. The the peanut. Um, peanuts. Yep. Not just yeah, one peanut. There's a the, whole the gang. Peanut. Whole gang of peanuts. Snoopy and such uh, uh, idolized the, taking the flights to the skies. Do you think uh, airplane pilots are like that and they just they just jealously think about space travel all the time? I think they exclusively sit on uh, dog houses and pretend to be pilots <laughs> until one day a representative from Delta walks by and goes, you're hired, sir. <laughs> you're hired. <laughs> you sit, managed to sit on that doghouse for for three whole days in rain and, rain and shine and also you watched Interstellar on that portable DVD player. They have to put a projector out there that just shows Interstellar and then they're like, you got the goods. You know those planes, they practically fly themselves. It's uh, it's great when our random tangents we can somehow tie into the movie because a plane and a crash are very heavily featured in this movie. So Yeah, wait, was that, was that a segue? It, it is a segue, yeah. No, that was planned banter. I could need you guys the sort of opening segments where you guys are just chit-chatting. I'm going to need them to be focused. Yeah, I don't care if the jokes are funny. I want them to be uh, directed. Ideally, if you're a listener to this show, you don't care if the jokes are funny. <laughs> <laughs> Ideally, you're not looking for comedy because you will come up empty handed here. Ideally, you're looking for two people that find themselves very funny. Oh, in which case, you struck gold, baby. So anyway, so I do have a segment. This is a, extremely suspect. This is the most tenuous game I think we've ever made. Maybe my Dark City game. I, I don't know how this is going to go, Peter, but I'm just going to explain it very quickly. I like your vote of confidence in you. Well, so this movie's title is a uh, full title, uh, Goke, Body Snatcher from Hell, which is kind of a weird title because he's so not Aaron, from hell. It's pronounced Goke. Oh, oh, it's Goke? Okay. Well, let's say that for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> is, do, do you have a game that you're playing in the background, Peter? <laughs> <laughs> nope. Okay. Let's just keep on going. Get so uh, it's called Goke Body Snatcher from Hell, which is kind of a weird title because he's definitely not from Hell. Um, he's from space. It's from the planet like Gokasen or something. The hell that is space. Yeah. So he's not, and he's not like he kind of is a body snatcher, but that's not. He's more of a vampire. And my guess is like if he was filling out his W twos, it would be like pilot or something. Body snatching is not really his identifying like career path, but and again, and Goke is the is kind of like the shortened name for his planet that they're from. So Goki Madoro. I think it's I, th I don't know if it's a planet, I think it's like their race. I think it's like a, a sentient race uh of of uh mercury jelly things. 
Okay. I mean, that, that all checks out. Um, so it's about science. So again, the title, it feels like a very Americanized title. I did try to do some research and it's, I'll, we'll talk about this a little later, but like finding information about this movie is surprisingly difficult, especially kind of behind the scenes or anything like that. So I don't know, but it definitely feels like kind of put together outside of the creators of this movie for a title. So anyway, so what I'm going to do, Peter, is I'm going to say movie titles that have been gokiized, which is basically the lead character's name, his job title, and then From Hell. So if there was a movie about me, my movie would be called Aaron, Client Manager from Hell. <laughs> oh, so, I thought it would be Aaron, Podcast Ruiner from Hell. Yeah, that's – that's no, it's main job. Oh, oh. I know Body Snatcher, but for – like technically I could just say human – and then Client Manager from Hell, if I was really trying to do like a one-to-one ratio with what Goke is doing, mm-hmm. but uh, but I'm not. So I'm going to say just a first name, a job title, and then From Hell, and you need to try to guess what movie it's from. Now, I tried to do relatively obvious ones because I know this is pretty specific. I'm just doing first name. If you, if you get it right, you get a point. If you want a hint on some of these, I can give you a last name, uh, and that'll be minus five points if you ask for a hint, regardless of whether you get it right or not after. Oh, so should I never ask for a hint? Is that mathematically? Uh, you know, you do your math, I'll do my math, but... <laughs> Okay, <laughs> Roth Pro. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I'm just saying that's that's how the the game rules uh, work. That's what Milton Bradley wrote. I'm going to start with which what I think is a pretty easy one. So this movie title would be Jack Truck Driver from Hell. Oh, uh, Big Trouble in Little China. That is correct. That is one point. If you'd asked for hints, it'd be minus five points would be the score, <laughs> but you didn't. So so it's fine. Phil, local weatherman from Hell. Uh, Groundhog Day. That is correct. Mark, independent filmmaker from hell. Uh, American movie. That is correct. We're not, we're not, this is going to be the quickest game we've ever done because I only have eight of these and there's, well, we've done no banter throughout the first three. <laughs> we, we like a lot of the same movies. It's the reason we started a podcast. So it's both a handicap and the only reason this show exists. Well, and I figured it was pretty, like I couldn't do something really, I couldn't do something really obscure. And, like, make this game worthwhile. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Uh, Jim, district attorney from hell. I'm not going to ask for a clue. Okay, because then you'd be at <laughs> minus two points. <laughs> how many points do I get for a wrong answer? Uh, how many points do you get? Yeah. Zero. Okay. I didn't work in I didn't work in a taking away points from you system, but clearly you found a hole in the game. <laughs> all right. Uh, uh, Dark Knight. Uh, no, although... Oh, no, that's Harvey Dent. Never yeah. mind. JFK. Oh, yeah. Jim Garrison. Oh, yeah. Uh, Peter, Fisherman from Hell. Uh, oh, Last Temptation of Christ. Uh, close. He's not the main character in that one, though. Jesus is, little guy by the name of Jesus. <laughs> little Peter. Little guy named JC. Jesus Christ Superstar, which I would say the main character is Peter. No, it's Judas. Oh, fuck. I get minus five points. <laughs> We just needed Zach to come on and own us in Bible history. God again. damn it! No, I knew that too, and because originally it was it was a Passion of the Christ, and I'm like, no, that doesn't work because he's the main character, and I'd already written Peter. Like uh-huh. I could have changed it to Judas. It's okay. I, you you have three you know points. You're watching right? a game show, and the host goes, "Ah, fuck!" Yeah, <laughs> realizing that the explanation he gave you just disqualified his own answer. <laughs> 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 that's it 
No more explanations. Don't uh, ask for any. Just my word is fine. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to explain myself to you anymore in case I look like an idiot again. Okay. So so let's jump back a little bit. So you're arguing in, uh, you're arguing in, not Godspell. What was the? Jesus, Jesus Christ Superstar. Which Jesus the main, Christ Superstar. The main so character is Judas. Peter. No, oh, Judas. The main is Judas. Okay. No, Peter's absolutely not the main so character. So Jesus is a supporting character? Well, I'd say he has like the second lead, but the story is really yeah. about Jesus. I like to think Jesus Judas. is the second lead in all of our lives. Um, I would say his, he's the lead, really. Jesus, take the wheel. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that Jesus right shotgun and tell me if I need to turn soon? <laughs> you know how people say, like, space, the final hell? What? Oh, wait, no, they say space, the final frontier. I don't think they say that either. I've never, I've never heard anyone talk about space. <laughs> You're trying to pull a fast one on me, aren't you, Aaron? Uh, did I not tell you I'm a flat earther? So <laughs> <laughs> you're a flat earther, no skyer. Yeah, no. Well, there's a sky. There's just no space. There's uh, a there's a ceiling. If if you could go up high enough, which we can't. I know a guy named Bill that like cro- like went up on his ladder really really tall, bumped his head right on the on the ceiling. No further questions. All right, I got three more. Uh, Bud, basketball player from hell. <laughs> <laughs> the film is Airbud. That is correct. Yes. I have we talked about this on the show before how totally a dog is way more well suited to play soccer than basketball. Literally the last time I made an Airbud joke. Yeah, it makes no fucking sense why it would be basketball first. Basketball should be like the fifth entry. Yeah, but I said that Ground Bud wasn't as good of a title. Oh yeah. This is even funnier this time. Yep. And so, I don't know why we I don't know why we left it in that time. <laughs> oh, it's staying in staying in this time, baby. Oh God! There's also you know those movies on Netflix, the Spooky Buddies and Party Buddies and whatever with the little golden retrievers. You know that that's like a continuation of the series, right? I didn't know those movies existed, so no. You have a you have a daughter. I didn't. I expected you have uh, plumbed the depths of all children's entertainment by now. Uh, no, we haven't gotten there yet. Someday. I have enough trouble trying to get her to watch new stuff. It's like 10 minutes of the Muppet movie, and it's like I'm just fast-forwarding to the songs to keep her interest. <laughs> I was I was trying to keep her interested. Like, look, there's Steve Martin and fucking nothing. I don't know. What's wrong with this kid? Whoa. Maybe she just prefers his banjo work. Um, I don't know. I'll have to ask her. But uh, it, did, it did not seem like she was familiar with him at all. Have we ever talked about how uh, there's like three things in the world that make me cry and one of them is Rainbow Connection? I would put I would put that for we have not talked about that, that makes you cry. Although that's like a that's a thing that if you're in the right place, it should make you cry because it's a fucking beautiful song. And I, I actually would put that in contention for the best song ever written. It's absolutely beautiful. It's uh, one of the songs that weirdly uh, just I can hear like. Just the beginning strums of the banjo, and all of a sudden I get like waves of uh, a feeling that I almost never get. Be like, I should cry happily right now. I get, I get also get the the shivers for um, God Only Knows by the Beach Boys. That's a that's a really good song. It does give me the shivers, but I kind of feel like I overplayed it at some point. And I should jump back eventually when we do talk about things that make us cry. I should jump back. I don't say that in like a proud dude way that like one of the three things that make me cry. I wish that more things made me uh, have those that that sort of beautiful shivers, the the wave of energy that just like flows over you when you like know something could easily make you cry if you just like give in a little bit. 
Like you have to fight with your whole body. Like I wish I felt that feeling more. See, that surprises me because I get choked up all the time at stuff. You also have kids, though. Is this true before you had kids? Absolutely. Yeah. No, I was. I was always like, I don't usually do necessarily the 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 cry. I will get the lump in my throat and like have like my eyes welling up type thing. It takes a lot to do the full breakdown, but like movies, movies and TV shows, like do that to me all the fucking time. I uh, I'm a little jealous, and also I'm pretty sure once I have kids, I'm gonna be right where you're at. <laughs> Yeah, it, ha- it happens to new stuff. Like, it happens during new things now that I have kids. The old stuff is still there, too. Like, there's, like... Yeah, I mean, it just it happens constantly. I don't know. Hmm. Jealous. We'll have to have an episode where we talk about crying a lot. Yeah, yes. I'm su- I'm surprised, though, because, like, if we were if we were a podcast boy band, I think you would be the sincere one, and I would be... And I think we're both sincere, and we're both sarcastic, but I think you lean a little bit more towards sincere, and I, lead, I lean a little bit more towards um, sarcasm. That's definitely... That is definitely true. Maybe I'm just, like, uh, more guarded. Or maybe you're not, because you're, like, constantly expressing emotions freely. Uh, those little moments that I guess uh, I'm a I'm a bitter man who <laughs> walls himself off with a sense of detachment. So then, like, I'm watching movies and it's just poking through constantly. Yeah, like, there's – maybe I, like, let – yeah, I let more of the pressure off more regularly so I don't need to have, like, big bursts. Yeah, maybe. All right, we got two more of these, but most of that might get cut out. Um, but it's great that we we had a moment to talk. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not really good podcasting, but it's you know, Peter, we we don't really talk outside of this podcast uh, voice to voice, so it's good to have moments as friends. Yeah, exactly, and we can always edit those moments out and forget them, like sand and uh, hourglass. Yeah. Did you did you know that I'm really good at metaphors? Yeah, that's uh, that was a good one. <laughs> I think it was stolen from something, but <laughs> so the last two, Hit the me. score is the score is what three to minus two. Yeah, sure. Okay, Doctor Momotaki, psychologist from hell. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I forgot the movie. Okay, body snatcher from hell. That is correct. Yes, <laughs> Frederick, inspector from hell. Uh, I don't know. That is uh, from hell. Oh, <laughs> that's pretty good. Did I did I do the whole quiz just so I could say from hell at the end? <laughs> I don't know. Seems like something I do. <laughs> <laughs> all these quizzes, even though you probably put them together, like at your desk at work, all these quizzes ring of uh, I was drunk and I did word association. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> well, actually, this one I told you I was leaving work and I said, oh, shit, I forgot to come up with a quiz. And then two hours later, I'm like, I got it. I did it while I was making dinner. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm really proud of you for multitasking. And nothing about head vaginas either. Uh, no. Do you want to start talking about head vaginas? Yeah. You want to talk about uh, – oh, thank you for uh, – I should say thank you for bringing the uh, the game, Aaron. That was a lot of fun. I mean, now that you said that you should say that, it does not feel sincere. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> do I ever do I ever thank you for your games? I don't know, probably. I probably I probably say that was fun. If you have fun, yeah, maybe. You made it uh, super formal though. <laughs> Alright, Aaron, do you want to talk about Goke Body Snatcher from Hell? I do. Is it worth it? Let me work it. I put my thing down, flip it and reverse it. It's your primitive is when yet. It's your primitive is when yet. You got a big, let me search ya If I know how hard I gotta work ya It's your permanent, it's when you're at the It's your permanent, it's when you're at the
You should know how it works. Yeah. All right, five-second recap. I want to try to do something a little different for the five-second recap. I'm just going to read a bunch of stuff really quickly, okay? Five-second recap. Blood Red Sky, bomb threat, birds flying into plane, political assassination, alien UFO, more birds, plane crash, there is a bomb! Assassin gets kidnapped, a flight attendant, and then gets possessed by an alien. Mr. Mano is sleeping with his underling's wife in full view of his underling. Uh, war equals bad, space vampires, world, world's everyone dead. Uh, thank you, Billy Joel. We can't take it anymore! <laughs> <laughs> what else do I have to say? That's pretty good. Do I have to do the 90 now? Uh, you can just probably say that same thing slower. <laughs> yeah, uh, plane crashes due to interference from a UFO. UFO has a sort of like a brain parasite guy in it that acts as a conduit for vampirism. He infects people. The, there's infighting in the group. Uh, the group starts to whittle away both from vampirism and from sort of turning on each other. And then uh, at the end of the movie, they end up killing the first host and then the second host of this sort of slug virus. The pilot of the ship, our hero, and uh, his stewardess, Kazumi, I believe her name is, uh, she and him discover that the whole world has been invaded by this sort of body snatching vampirism it's supposed to be sort of like an invasion of the body snatchers ending where like oh god they've gotten to everybody but with like, less hope yeah the but, ending of invasion of the body snatchers yeah because goka Maduro, the demon thing uh i keep saying like demon and hell and stuff but this is clearly an alien maybe we're just not understanding a japanese concept of hell an alien from hell. <laughs> this also could have been in a month with Life Force because it has space vampires in it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, everyone's dead. So I kind of want to... I can't <laughs> believe we... Sorry, were you done? Were we, yeah, I'm we, done, but this guys, is very great. flippant. That was great People work. People died, Aaron. I, I know, everyone. So I, I kind of want to... Sorry if I'm, if I'm kind of chomping at the bit here. So I love this movie. I saw this for the first time a couple years ago. Uh, I bought that Criterion set that it's included in. Uh, I bought it specifically, which is like when horror came to, and I'm going to butcher this, like Shinchu? Sin, Sinochu? I don't know. It's, it's when horror came to someplace in Japan. <laughs> and uh, I also can't... Oh, Shochiku. Yeah. I don't. I didn't have it in front of me, and I was trying to do it from memory, and I've never said uh, it out loud. So I thought this was a Garneri situation where you just—it it doesn't matter if it's in front it's of you. Garneri? Or it's Garneri. Is that it, Garneri? Did I get it right? <laughs> <laughs> was that right? This, yes, Garneri. Okay, this is like that thing where you play a video game and can't solve a puzzle, and then the next day find out that you know the answer immediately. I—I <laughs> I didn't even try. That—that wasn't a bit. All of a sudden, it made sense to me. <laughs> uh, you hacked the Matrix to say an Italian name. Way to go. Can we re-edit our uh, Deliverance episode? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So, I'm, I'm excited. On. <laughs> There's a problem with certain words, even if they're in front of you. And I just will never stop finding it hilarious. Yep. Yeah, I have a disability. I guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's like dyslexia, but just for foreign last names. <laughs> just, and random yeah, and random words. I do want to do want to zoom past this, so yeah, I bought it. Fuck you. That's like a truck. I shout to send you for for Christmas, I'm gonna send you a trucker hack that says I've got dyslexia for foreign names. <laughs> <laughs> oh great. Make sure that's after the election. <laughs> 
<laughs> make America have Smith again. Yeah. <laughs> make make America gear near real again. <laughs> Were you saying a name backwards? <laughs> I, was, I don't know. I was just moving my mouth and making noise. Are you a backup singer for Missy Elliott? Uh, <laughs> Let me work in. <laughs> Sorry. Go cave. Body snatcher of hell. <laughs> From ten? hell. Fuck. What were you saying ten minutes ago before I started ripping on you? Uh, no, it's fine. I'm, I'm gonna have a good cry later because that's something I'm capable of doing. <laughs> what the listeners just heard we'll see but um (laughs) anyway uh so yeah i bought that criterion eclipse set i bought it specifically for the x from outer space uh it was the only way to see that i was a big kaiju fan and uh craig j clark former commodore from the dissolve uh, also goes by hooded justice was constantly talking about that uh the x from outer space and i ended up buying the set Watched it, really liked the X from Outer Space, and then started to move on to the next one in the set and found Koke and fucking fell in love. So I'm going to talk more about that in a sec. So what I'm kind of excited, though, is that uh, Peter's never seen this, and I have no idea. We have not even talked at any second of what he possibly thinks of it. Before I say a little bit about why I think this movie appeals to me, Peter, what did you think of Goke? Uh I liked it quite a bit. Uh, it's got kind of a nice mashup of two things that I like. Uh, I guess three things that I like. Primarily, it kind of reminded me of a Twilight Zone episode where it's about uh, this heightened sci-fi situation. It's more focused on the humans on the ground and how they're interacting and the drama of it escalates from there way more so than the mechanics of the monsters and such and that way it's also very much like night of the living dead because it's like a siege movie where people are trapped inside and are banging heads uh two it's got a lot of like classic technicolor japanese gore like the birds flapping against the side of the plane and just spewing this like pink blood all over it and like all the all the strange sort of blood effects and then three it's got one thing that I, when I started getting into exploitation movies and strange movies, I started getting into Takashi Miike movies, and I didn't realize that I could. It wasn't just Takashi Miike movies that I liked. I liked a specific brand of uh, Japanese weirdness. The Japanese have a very specific sort of weirdness, and what the what the people in the movie are concerned with is just like very very fascinating uh, on a level, and it adds to this sort of heightened strangeness that's kind of beautiful. And I think one of the things we're gonna get into this month and have to because our theme is bug nuts right uh kitchen sink bug nuts we're gonna have to sort of figure out today and for the rest of the month what makes batshit movies enjoyable a and what makes them not enjoyable and uh yeah i i I had a blast with this it's also like 84 minutes or something oh yeah it's perfect this is one of those movies that you watch and i i don't actually think this is true but when you watch it you're like why aren't all movies 80 minutes? If this movie can pack this much plot into 80 minutes, why the fuck am I watching, you know, Seven Samurai for four hours? Yeah. That's a bad it, example. But <laughs> And it is a thing where the movie is extremely inf- efficient with how it doles out characters, sometimes like brutally so. 
Like yeah. the, the the psychiatrist character when he introduces himself, he's just like, uh, "I'm a psychiatrist. I like to see what people's limits are." I'm like, "You're a sociopath, a. Eh? We know everything we need to know about you right now." The sort of efficiency of 84 minute genre exercises is really thrilling to me. And there's three avalanches. 84 minutes, <laughs> three avalanches. That's that's an avalanche every less than a half hour. You're getting you're getting an avalanche. Yeah, it's the same avalanche. <laughs> But you get it three times. How many avalanches uh, out of three do you give this movie, Aaron? Uh, well, three. <laughs> I give I give Seven Samurai zero. There's, <laughs> as far as I remember, no avalanches. Anyway, so here's what I kind of discovered about myself. and Maybe I put it into words at the beginning. And I kind of al- always knew this. But I think between doing this podcast and like you mentioned, uh, this is a good comparison piece to Life Force. And I think that's true. And not just because they're space vampires, but because it's just it has so much things going on. I think I really like uh, movies that aren't afraid to throw a bunch of shit in there and just just have kind of fun with a bunch of disparate plot elements. And hey, why do we have to have a you know bomb on the plane or a hijacker uh, or an assassin? Why don't we do all of those things? And also, birds are flying into the plane. And also, there's an alien spacecraft. Out. Like <laughs> the movie has a commentary on Vietnam and Hiroshima somehow. Yeah, the idea of just you know what you get a chance to make a movie. Movies don't have to have a basis in reality. Why aren't you thinking that fantastically with all the things that you could put in your movie? I don't think that happens that often, and I'm. Sure sure there's more examples i'm not thinking of that happen terribly and that's why when they work they stand out for me but i think but movies like life force movies like goke i would say movies like big trouble in little china or repo man or uh you know the adventures of buckaroo Banzai. i love all those movies the thing i love about them is the same which is they are not afraid to go anywhere do anything take any tangents that they want and that is uh, an exciting thing to watch in a movie because despite the fact that movies offer you a limitless uh, vision of imagination as long as the budget can match it you you normally just see like one thing at a time yeah uh, and obviously triple a hollywood titles have a sort of respectability and a dignity that gets that motivates how the plot moves it's focus somewhat narrow is because it's uh easier to take serious and it's yeah it, it lends a sort of dignity to the proceedings and one of the reasons that we aaron and i love exploitation movies and genre movies and b movies is that they're kind of unconcerned with dignity and once you throw that out you can reach some really sublime places for instance in this movie it's mashing up sort of 50s. I mean, it was made in the early 60s, so it's not surprising. But Actually, 1968, the same year as Night of the Living Dead. Oh, yeah. Which, which kind of feels cr- crazy, and we can talk about that in a sec. But They, they, both, they both sort of approach Vietnam, but, uh, and they have similar uh, characteristics. But yeah, we'll get, into the, we'll get into that later. Both movies are sort of influenced by 50s uh, sci-fi. Uh, Night of the Living Dead in particular has, it sort of implies that the zombie uh, outbreak is caused by a falling satellite, I believe, radiation from a falling satellite, which is a very, a very um, 1950s Sputnik era sort of, of terror. And this movie has these very cheap looking, very simple looking, like, 
flying saucers, which uh, they conceal the cheapness with a pretty cool visual effect, this sort of painted visual effect that looks very much like an, a power effect from a, a, a kaiju movie. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing to have this sort of bloody, sexy, weird uh, Japanese movie that is has its foot firmly in the past and yet is talking about very progressive issues. I guess why I would think that this is insane that this came out the same year as Night of the Living Dead is I absolutely love Night of the Living Dead. It's, I mean, I, I don't even feel like I need, I'm a horror movie fan. Like, of course I fucking love Night of the Living Dead. That, but Night of the Living Dead really feels like the, the start of the modern horror era in Hollywood. It's that movie and then it kind of turns from kind of campy cheesy stuff and it gets into more and more like grisly you know i think i think that you could really mark that movie as a turning point in uh horror horror movies in hollywood and that movie night of the living dead feels like the beginning of something it feels like a seed change it feels like something new and then other things followed suit and did riffs on that goke feels like it it exists in a world where it it had seen Night of the Living Dead and 10 or 20 years of the movies that followed because it feels like it's riffing on so much uh, horror movie tropes and in like this grisly, apocalyptic, dark way. And and so why I think it's insane is that Night of the Living Dead, if you're talking about 1968 and you put that as like that came out in 1968, it feels like Goke should have come out 15 years later even though it's from different countries and all that stuff, like Hollywood was just getting into a certain kind of horror with Night of the Living Dead and Japan is doing Goke, which feels almost like light years ahead of that, is insane to me. And it's interesting, though, because the this movie also, I, I learned that this movie and uh, the other movies in, in the series uh, were sort of created to come up with uh, more alternatives to Godzilla. They were trying to tap whatever Godzilla had tapped into in the Japanese consciousness. So this movie, <laughs> very early on, references Hiroshima. A character says, basically, that after Hiroshima... Uh, alien sightings shot up dramatically. It felt like a, a very Godzilla thing to just lay it out there very brazenly and just be like, this movie isn't about just space aliens and whatever and about working together. This movie is about how we lost our innocence with Hiroshima and how um, we've crossed a line that can't be uncrossed. In that way, it's sort of... it's In that way, it's kind of different than Godzilla because Godzilla is saying... You know, this happened once, but we can stop it from happening ever again. Goke is a very cynical movie, and it's basically saying, like, we've already crossed the line. We're fucked. Um, there's people, children, like, especially in this red brazen war uh, footage that they keep showing with this red filter. They're basically saying, like, children are dying in the streets. Uh, people are at war with one another. People are being assassinated. People are being killed. We live in a time of crisis. And things are just going to keep getting worse until there's no more of us left. Yeah, and they do an amazing thing in the opening scene, which, again, is a pre-credit scene, which still feels like light years ahead of its time in the way that they use it in this movie. I'm sure it's not the first pre-credit scene, but again, like its use of like drawing tension and then then the plane crashes and then the credits hit. That just that feels like nothing out of, you know, 
the late sixties and and prior to that. So anyway, this 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 is going to be an episode where I gush a lot, uh, just like Life Force, I think. But w- one thing that it sets up really well be- between the red sky and the the birds, gr- you know, gruesomely crashing into the plane at different intervals at the in the opening ten minutes, kind of red blood is pouring out of them. You have these little bits of like dialogue between the characters that it really starts out the movie with this sense of like impending doom, and, and they're talking about the war and the and the world's a mess and. I don't know. It, it definitely feels like there's there's just that this isn't necessarily the 1968 that really existed, or maybe maybe it did. I wasn't alive in 1968, so you know there was a lot of shit going on in 19 in the late in the late 60s. Maybe maybe that did feel like doom for the people that were living there at the time. Regardless, they do an amazing job of um, visualizing that and articulating that to the audience members where even before the plane crashes and you see a UFO, it just has this feeling that shit's going to go wrong and everything's a mess. So the kind of interesting thing about uh, watching this movie, because clearly it's a Japanese movie and not a whole lot has been written on it, we're forced to sort of extrapolate context um and you know there's some stuff they're clearly talking about like i said hiroshima and vietnam and and the wars of the era there's also a genuine sort of fear of uh, politicians and war profiteers getting too powerful i think that there's you know there was probably pointing to you know the military bases that are in japan were being used to help launch offensives in in vietnam uh there's probably some sort of hand-wringing about that going on as well. And just in general, the, the region being destabilized by multiple world wars in the past two decades. Uh, three major wars, at least, in the past two decades, if we're counting the Korean War, World War II, and Vietnam. It's kind of interesting watching these movies with incomplete context, because you kind of get, without even trying, you kind of pick up on the paranoias and what people are afraid of of the time. It definitely, it does a great job of making it feel like destruction of the human race is inevitable. It's probably not worth saving. Does that really well off the bat. And you're right, as we're talking about it, I'm like, thinking back to all the things that were going on in the late 60s, it's like, you know, it probably did feel like the world was going to end in, in a lot of different ways. It, it's it's still amazing they were able to communicate it that well in the first 10 minutes of this movie to someone who, you know, is not contemporary and not watching it at the time where everyone's like, oh, yeah, shit, this, this whole thing's going down. You were right. The fact that the, all that unravels in a post credit or pre credits sequence is pretty amazing because it's just putting, just dropping you into this weird little apocalyptic world, and you're just seeing people working around the violence. So there's a war profiteer, there's a politician, uh, there's a uh, there's a hijacker that gets involved later. Obviously, there's uh, the war profiteer. Yeah, there's the yeah there's well there's the assassin that becomes a hijacker and then there's also the attempted yeah then there's a guy with a bomb too and then there's a there's a threat about um there's a threat about bombings going on that someone says the psychiatrist i believe says and says like you know planes are going to be bombed out of the air and then the psychiatrist is not really trying to fix anybody he's just likes sitting and watching the catastrophe unfold um he goes in in the the Prometheus school of uh, 
uh, scientists and, and doctors not doing what they're supposed to do. <laughs> yeah, he, he did it for the lab rat version of psychology where let's let's see how these people tick. Uh, you're right, though, of like the motley crew of characters they assemble. Uh, it feels like that all the characters in this movie are all villains or something from other movies who got on the same plane like they all have their own uh, movie worthy plot going on and then they all end up in a plane together which i love yeah yeah it's it's really fascinating because you're like something bad is going to go on with this plane what is it and then nothing ends up happening like the the plane gets it's hijacked yes but the plane is still flying. Like, it still seems like business as usual. The hijacker doesn't seem like he's going to murder anybody. He's just... Uh... They just find his gun that he used uh, from assassinating a um, a British world leader earlier. Yeah. And or yeah, an ambassador earlier. And so everyone assumes that's the hijacker. And then when they, when they, when they crash land... Uh, and you as an audience member assume that that is the hijacker. Why wouldn't it be? He's a guy with a bunch of guns. And then after they crash land, one of the guys gets up and is like hiding his dynamite sticks that he was going to use to bomb the airplane. <laughs> like he's embarrassed. Like he's, oh, oh God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which again is just, that is an insane thing to do is to, and, and the movie succeeds at this so often where it's giving you what you expect from a movie. Oh, it's not a hijacker, it's an assassin. But everyone, because he has weapons, mistakes him for a hijacker or a, a terrorist. And that would be enough for most movies. Like, that's the twist. You found the villain. And then it's like, oh, no, but there was also a, there was also a guy with a bomb on it. That wasn't a mistake. So is the movie saying, this is my guess, is the movie saying, like, something was going to go very wrong in this plane anyway? Or was the movie saying that there was a sort of, there's a sort of sense of stability going on between humans and the only way that it's going to get broken is by this uh, UFO flying by? I mean, kind of. It is It is weird that the it's then the UFO not the birds. Yeah, something else brings them down. Yeah, the it, it just breaks their. It, it, it essentially does like a almost an EMP attack. It like breaks all their equipment, and they're forced to crash land somewhere that they can't. They don't know where the heck they are and what's going on. And it's interesting because I'm with all these troubling elements in the plane. I'm wondering if the plane would have even made it to its. I mean, it wasn't going to make it to its destination anyways. Well, no, because he, he told him to turn around once the assassin got discovered, and that's how he becomes a hijacker. Yeah, but what the- Because pl- then he's like, oh, fuck, you guys caught me. Don't don't go here. Yeah. Because they're waiting for me. But between the, the two guns on the plane, the bomb, all these deadly people, like, with- was there going to be some sort of explosion even without the aliens? I don't know, but you know, it just occurred to me, and maybe this is a super obvious comparison, but again, there's like fucking nothing about this movie on the internet. So, you know, I'm sure someone who's seen it thought this, but did Lost rip off this movie? Because Lost is a movie about a bunch of seemingly normal passengers on a plane who all have their own movies going on and backstories that you find out throughout the course of very long seasons. And this is the same thing. I don't know. It's hard to say because I don't know exactly. It's hard. We, I think we've all been figuring out in post what kind of nerd J.J. Abrams is. And I think we're finding out that he's just kind of a normal nerd. He likes Indiana Jones and Star Wars, and he likes, like, Amblin movies of the 80s. I think we're figuring out that J.J. Abrams is just sort of a 
a base level nerd, like not even a nerd. Oh, by shots, standards. shots fired! Like I don't, I don't know if. JJ, well, I guess he doesn't. He didn't even like Star Trek. So yeah, he didn't. He didn't on, like JJ. Star Trek. Yeah, so I don't exactly like. Although he did score Night Beast. <laughs> he scored Night Beast. Yeah, and I'm not trying to call out JJ Abrams as not being a real nerd. I'm just saying, like, what are his interests? Can we extrapolate from what we know he loves to say whether or not he? He does love kaiju movies because he pulled up yeah. um, Cloverfield. Did he, did he create it? I thought Damon Lindelof was like the person who – I know they all are kind of credited as creators, but that doesn't mean J.J. thought of this. That's true. Damon Lindelof, if we're – I mean, oh my god. Damon Lindelof wrote Prometheus, right? Mm-hmm. Is the silence because you're dropping your coffee cup and having a Kaiser so saying? Moment? <laughs> yeah. I think da- I think we can't trace this back through J.J. Abrams. I'm not saying he's not a real nerd. That's a stupid fucking thing to say. I'm saying uh, we could trace this back through Damon Lindelof because Damon Lindelof made Prometheus, which is a movie that I love and is a movie very similar to this that's just about a bunch of uh, crazy personalities tossed into a plane, including a... Uh, a couple doctors and scientists that are not exactly ethical uh, or professional. And uh, they crash land on an alien planet and have to figure out what the hell to do. And then the alien slowly infiltrates their pack and communicates with them to communicate glo- like doom. Um, hold on. Before we get too far from it, I do want um, to back up and say what a weird world it is that you saying, no, no, no. I'm not saying that J.J. Abrams is not a real nerd. He's a real nerd. Like, what fucking world do we live in where, like, calling someone not a nerd is, like, the worst thing you could say about someone? Fucking internet mouth breathers have ruined everything. You can't just like anything anymore. Now you have to be, like, a fucking, like, you have to, like pay blood fealty to it to be call yourself a fan fandom has gotten so ugly well that's i mean that's yeah but it is it is a weird world where like when i was growing up and i know i'm a little older than you like say by the bell it was the nerds like nerd was like the was not necessarily the worst thing you call someone but it was like you know the lower class of like the high school college uh food chain and now like if you were to say to someone well you're not a real nerd people are like how dare you where 20 years ago they'd be like thank god yeah can i play sports now you're like what I happens next yeah do i is, get a date does that mean we're finally i mean let's right, let me be the optimist here does that mean we're finally getting over uh the reagan 80s i'm not over it <laughs> so you know we're finally getting over the sort of cap like capitalist rubber stamp personalities of the 80s we're so known for ah uh, he reads books what a loser yeah like any sort of any sort of outsider uh that that you that used to be the the, the nerds though smart people and so I, I could buy the Reagan, the Republicans kind of being like, smart people that know facts are stupid. <laughs> if you have to know the right facts. Yeah, now now nerds, though, are just like people that wish death threats on women because video game endings didn't work out for them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's about right. That's about yep. right. And, and and Peter saying that J.J. Abrams is a nerd. So yeah, draw, your own, nerd. Fo- draw your own conclusions. Draw your own conclusions, folks. He's a nerd. He's just a nerd for things that are now socially acceptable to be nerds about. I don't think he's like an anime nerd. Anime is the is the last frontier where if you, if you talk about liking anime at most workplaces, they're like, oh, that's a fucking weirdo. <laughs> oh, okay. Everyone just thinks you're into weird sexual stuff. <laughs> like, uh, if he's watching it, it's clearly for the anime ladies. 
Okay, don't borrow my lotion anymore. <laughs> do people borrow lotions in offices a lot? All the time. So I, I do all day. Should I be offended that people have not offered me any lotion? No one's lent you their lotion? No. Should I be offended? Um, yeah, definitely. I would quit tomorrow. <laughs> Spend your time promoting our podcast. Oh, no. <laughs> Rate and review us on iTunes. Rate and review uh, us on iTunes. I want to stay in my apartment. Yeah, so back to the movie. Let's talk more about the cast, though, because you're right. It's this motley group of like you're right. There's the there's the psychologist who wants to uh, see hum- humanity at its worst and how they react to stuff, and and says it openly. Like if you're going to be an evil psychologist, you know, a little bit closer to the vest might be good instead of like how do you function? I want to everything's falling apart. That might be too far. You have the astrophysicist who's like, yep, space shit's coming in all the time. You also have the um so this this is a very weird character and it's and I don't know it it's so bad that it is very laughable to me cuz it's only bad for English speakers which is uh the American woman <laughs> uh, who speaks English and whose whose husband just died in Vietnam. I'm assuming she's on this plane somehow related to burying him or maybe his body was on the plane. Yeah, but, but he's, she's going overseas to get the remains, which is a uh, Yeah. Um that doesn't you don't go to Vietnam to get the remains of your husband. They send that home. I mean, I don't know. I know a little bit about Vietnam. Did they have a lot of remains readily available to send home? Uh, I don't know, but I'm assuming, well, she knows that he got his head blown apart. So I'm assuming that they, if they know what's happened, know what happened to him affirmatively and they, uh, and yeah, he, he, they probably that were able to get a corpse out and could send it home. Like if he was MIA, obviously they, they can't like just provide a corpse to him and he'd be like, here. So you're, so you're, what you're saying is that based, based on what is going on in the story, my kind of a joke doesn't work. <laughs> Sorry. That's, that is a good sign of uh, me being overly, overly earnest. I think it's a good sign that some of my jokes just don't aren't funny. <laughs> well, well, I found no humor in what you said, so I'm assuming you were sincere. <laughs> so let me explain why what you said is stupid Aww, in the context like of the story. Aww. No, you were, you were right. It was not funny. So here's what's funny about her in this movie. She is a terrible actress, which I almost give – it's it's fine because if you were watching this in Japan, they only subtitle two of her lines. The rest, she is the character. She is the foreign person in the movie who no one else on the plane really understands or one person does and then repeats back in their native language what they're saying. So she doesn't need to be a good actress. Because she just needs to seem uh, hysterical and sad and like she just, you know, like you would be if your husband was just killed or anyone was just killed that was close to you. That becomes kind of funny when you're watching it in in a language where you understand what she's saying and realizing how bad she is at delivering every line. Yeah. Well, I didn't think she was that bad. Um, maybe I'm just doing that because I'm comparing her to other Western actors, actors uh, that have ended up in some of my favorite Asian movies. See, I've, I guess I've never seen an example of this that I remember anyways. I probably have. It didn't, she didn't really bother me that much. I don't know. Yeah, it, it didn't It didn't necessarily bother me. It was just, it, like I said, it was It was kind of like charmingly funny. Oh, this, this, if I didn't know what she was saying, this would, this performance would work. That is kind of true. That is kind of true. Her emotions are right, 
like her hystericalness and her just extreme sadness at uh at her, that her husband has died like that that works it's then when she the lines that she's saying are terrible and she can't deliver them well because no one probably could they're really just they're really on the nose they're really stuff like you know my husband's head was just blown off and stuff like that it doesn't fit well but again, she's, I think she sells it well if you don't know what she's saying. If you know what she's saying, it doesn't work. But in a humorous way. I think you're kind of pointing at something that's interesting, especially when you're watching foreign movies and you're not – you haven't picked up on the ebbs and flows of how a language is supposed to go, is that you can kind of enjoy performances more abstractly. Bad performances in a different language are really – are much harder to pick up on. Yeah. That's a good that's a good point. Like you can pick out the broadness of their physical performance easier, but the the physical line readings, you have no idea how the line is supposed to sound. Like the room might not seem all that ridiculous to a Japanese person. It probably looks really ugly, mm. but like and it's probably plotted really poorly, which is why which is why comedies don't do well overseas because so much of a, a good comedy is not is not is not what you say but how you say it. Which is why the stuff that does import really well is slapstick or or stuff that's that that you don't need a like to understand the language and the tonal inflection to get. And that's kind of the same thing here. Like I've I've watched some foreign comedies in a different language and I've liked them. But when we talk about kind of the the masterpieces of foreign cinema, not that many comedies come up. It's a lot of action. It's a lot of drama. It's a lot of, you know, science fiction or horror. Like to to say that that's something that's a problem with the with the foreign markets or markets that aren't in the United States. It's the same thing for us. I mean, we we don't really have that many comedies that we talk about in the same breath that we talk about like. You know Kurosawa films. That's true. I mean, um, and again, I think this being my first kind of at least memory of seeing like, oh, her dialogue doesn't match what she's trying to say. And I imagine when they do stuff like this in American movies, when they have a character who speaks a certain language and none of the other characters, like I could see half the time, you know, we're like, oh, he's doing such a great performance. And, you know, if you if that was a movie that was shot in, you know, France and French people are like, this is garbage. He couldn't he's barely spitting out those lines like in the way they're supposed to be said. So I, I just think it was a very unique way to see it. And because it's especially noticeable for her because she's just kind of playing a very heightened character at like completely beset by like hysterical grief. Yeah, she's allowed to be kind of broad because she doesn't speak the language. So in order to say anything, she kind of has to yell. And I and I, I feel like I'm using hysterical right, but I still felt bad about it each time because that's like what people call – it's a very derogatory term that people are like, oh, she's just being hysterical. But, I mean, her husband died. Like, it's, it's – I don't know another – should we look up a thesaurus so I can edit in something that doesn't sound as sexist as that might have sounded? <laughs> Uh, she's, uh, she's all goofed up. That, that sounds worse. <laughs> she's got the, she's got the women crazies. The, the vapors. <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't know, man. I think, I think, I think, um, this is the sort of contextual thing that, uh, no one's going to give you grief for. Good. I still felt bad about it, which oh, is yeah, that's probably, fine. It's, it's a good thing. It gets the extra points. Yeah. Not now that I've mentioned the extra points. Those points have now been deducted. Oh, so that won't count towards my final score? <laughs> Your final misogyny score. <laughs> no, it's... You're still making up for the incident of summer of 98. 
How did you know? <laughs> yeah, so let's uh, so let's talk about the psychologist a little bit. Uh, she definitely seems like he was. Um, he feels like the version of a psychologist that L. Ron Hubbard thinks of when he thinks of a psychologist. It's so true, this, you know, like this 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 person who's just like twiddling his thumbs and looking forward to document the devolution of humanity and and also like push them there a little bit too. Uh, he's definitely twirling his mustache. He doesn't end up evil, so. We should say that the 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 assassin who becomes a hijacker he he uh, they think he's dead in the plane crash. He leaves. He goes and he finds the alien spacecraft, and that's when he gets possessed by a mercury slug, and it immediately splits open his head and uh, kind of you know, for lack of a better word. It looks like he has a, a forehead vagina. Yeah, a forehead vagina that uh, goo, this mercury slug thing crawls out of. Yeah. Um, we, are we going to talk about the, the the rules behind the the monster now, or is that just like a lost cause? I, I'm interested in that you thought there were rules, but by by rules you mean like so he. He is going to warn – he goes back and warns the people on the plane, like Brett Spiner in Independence Day, that, uh, hey, you're all doomed. I'm not trying to jump ahead to the end, but why that's so great in the way that it plays with your expectations, aliens and bad guys and villains in movies constantly tell the ostensible heroes that they're doomed. They, they say that, that all life in the world is going to be knocked out and – the whole time you're watching this movie thinking that they're going to be able to stop the aliens. And the best part is the whole time the aliens were just saying what had already occurred to these people. And, and of course, the, the assassin is the, uh, is the person who is saying this eventually. Um, the wife of the politician's assistant becomes, becomes infected as well. And she's like, you guys are all doomed, doomed doomed and everyone's like we just got to get off this island and stop them usually i i think watching this i I, maybe i was thinking of godzilla movies too much i thought that they were going to be able to stop the threat i thought that you know once they killed the one demon and then the other guy came back and then they killed him too uh that the the sort of movie would be over but nope (laughs) everything that the gokumadoro was saying was true it had already happened, and and it had kind of yeah already happened, which which is insane. They, they don't even we, have the common courtesy we, to come up with a different message. Like it's just like almost like a pre-recorded message that they replay at the end. Yeah, and why why I'm kind of we can talk about the ending uh, in a little bit here, but the only reason I'm kind of jumping to that is because I feel like it's very important when you know what they're saying to everyone. They're communicating not a message of impending doom or threats. They they were saying that this this has happened. Which also, I guess, it bodes the question a little bit is, why are, why are they just fucking around with these plane crash uh, survivors? Uh, maybe because they accidentally killed everyone off too soon and were bored. But, you know, their, their messages and their, their being kind of the emissary of this, uh, this, this alien race with nefarious intentions turns out to not be a warning, but uh, essentially a news report. Yeah, which is really... I like it because it's 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 one of the few things in the movie I would call like outrightly creepy. Like I said, the message is replayed exactly at the end, um, and in that sense, it has a sort of uh, finality to them. That if they'd been captured by the demon, or if they'd been—I'm just calling it the demon because it's a term of convenience now. That I it's said from hell. It's an alien. 
Uh, if the alien had uh, captured them and taken them over, like more or less the same thing. Like now they're just doomed to walk an empty earth for like a, the rest of their short lives. Like we don't even see the end of our protagonist's lives because it's it's such a, uh, a foregone conclusion. The movie shows the earth sort of rotting away um and changing colors and such uh at the end well and they do they do show though like a bunch of a bunch of ships coming so i I think you can read the ending two ways um we're we're really jumping around a lot but that that fits well with this movie if you haven't seen it it's on hulu plus go watch it um i'm sorry you made it this long (laughs) without us telling you that we're following sort of pothead logic yeah uh, but there is a bunch of ships that come that come near the end, and I think you can make – watching it again, it does give some indication that this area is all taken over and then the Earth. But I, I like the reading better that the Earth is all gone and these ships that are coming, these waves and waves of ships are just coming to colonize. But I didn't think about that. I think probably the intention is just the people on this island that they crashed on. Are all dead in this village because uh, because the island when they walk far enough they find out that there's a whole town and a city and every everyone's dead. I th- I think and frozen in place, which is kind of creepy. Yeah, uh, fuck it. Let's not let's not force our hands. We're gonna jump a little bit to the end. We we'll we'll go back for if there's some stuff we missed. But I'm sure there's a ton of stuff we missed. Yeah, it's it's creepy because there there are bodies everywhere. Which most of most of the time when you get that thing where oh shit the apocalypse happened the bodies are gone. It's just empty cars and people walk around and no one's there. There's there's not a actual human effect or human toll left behind. And here, every car has someone dead and children and family members. There's like an office building where people just look like they all came out of elevators and collapsed. And there's just bodies stacked on bodies. That feels extremely rare for the are we the only ones left moment of a movie. It also is a point in the movie that only works for you if you don't care about the way that the the alien invasion is supposed to work because up until the, this point you're like okay so the ringing noise the binging noise which my dog hated <laughs> that comes from the spaceship that noise draws people in and sort of mesmerizes them um so okay considerably that could be done the the ringing noise was done in that population and they just stood in place while the the vampires came and drained them but there's also like skeletons standing around and some of them are burned out husks and some of them aren't. And it's kind of hard to figure out how these things work at all. Was it was that important to you? But if it's not important, yeah, I was going to say, if it's not important to you, then it's just sort of like uh, you sort of put yourselves in the foot in the shoes of our protagonist. You're just like, oh, shit, everybody's gone. They were wiped out before they could even prepare. Like, these weren't people living out their final days, like, fighting off the resistance. These are people dying right as they stood. Um, These were people waiting in line to pay a toll. These were people, you know, sitting in a hotel lobby. These were people about to get in an elevator. These weren't people, like, nobly dying in battle. And, And that was more my perspective, is that... It's creepy because it's sort of a frozen life. Yeah, and you're right. They're at different stages, um, which I think is more creepy because the aliens have not shown any power that they can just make everyone drop dead. And they're clearly sending out warnings that they're going to kill everyone. See, I find the kind of ununderstandable, incomprehensible thing of how these aliens are doing this and what their plan is to be to add to the creepy 
level. But I'll, but I guess I'll also say I am so burned out by uh, over explanation and exposition, and and that's just kind of the the movie world that we live in. Everything's an origin story. Everything needs to be explained. Like there's a whole cottage industry of movies that are just let's explain everything that you always liked and never need an explanation for. Maybe this wouldn't have been true ten years ago, but I will say for myself personally. Yeah, you don't need to explain shit to me. If you if you make it effective and creepy and weird enough, like there's nothing that contradicts anything here. We just don't know the mechanism and that's fucking fine. I don't need to know the mechanism. Yeah, that's true. Being super concerned with the physics of how this all works is uh, something that I don't necessarily jive with in horror movies, especially if it's like supposed to be this alien strange threat that's like massively above us. Like, I can see the complaint happening about, like, a movie about killer wolves or whatever. And you're like, how would they even know that you're there? It's like, okay, I can see that. Are you specifically throwing shade on the gray? <laughs> I really like the gray, actually. But that's a movie that people bitch about because it's not realistic. And I'm like, all right, I kind of see your point. It doesn't bother me. There's but... just not that many killer uh, wolf movies. And you were oddly specific in your example. <laughs> that's true. Most movies have might have a killer wolf side part. Like, uh, the, Born, uh, Alt, the Born Legacy has a killer wolf side part. But not... Not many movies focus on it. No, it's kind of like being like, uh, you know, some people complain about where does the giant moth come from? <laughs> uh, but yeah, with an alien threat or like a demon or something where you like don't exactly know the rules, I never let that stuff really bother me. Yeah. And it doesn't work. I'm like, we're, we're, it sort of becomes Lovecraftian on that level where it's every, every your every attempt to understand and try and break out of these power structures just leaves you even more uh, helpless and scared. I guess, I guess we're finding out that if I had a wish list for movies, it would be keep throwing crazy shit at me and never explain things. <laughs> like, just never let me catch up with anything that's going on. Just be like, now it's this, now it's this, now here's this, now here's this. Uh, and never tell me how it works. And I'll be like, that was amazing. That was a masterpiece. It yeah. confused the fuck out of me. Yeah. Again, there's just I think there's an unnecessary overemphasis on how everything works when you know. Yeah, that's this. That's what science is for. Art, art doesn't have to be that. It can be that. Doesn't have to be that. Yeah, I think. I mean, that's. I mean, it helps some genres. Like, uh, I think that up until Age of Ultron, all the MCU movies did a really good job of making uh, the physics of how everybody's powers really like fractional. They kind of make the powers uh, relatable. And scalable, not fractional. Uh, with a movie like this, I just don't ask. I don't ask that of the movie. Something we didn't really talk about at all. All of the human conflict at the core. And I, I related it to a Twilight Zone episode or Night of the Living Dead. But yeah. Yeah, they do a, good, a really good job of... Yeah, they do a really good job of creating uh, enough of a uh, archetype and enough of a melodramatic character base where... Having all of the different people interact, there's the, you know, we've talked about some of them. There's there's a politician who's kind of a dirty politician and like the person who's kind of his assistant, but you find out later is is actually just um, just being his assistant because he's bribing the politician to help his business out, which also feels way ahead of its time. I'm sure that was happening in 1968. And also the politician freaking out at the pilot for crashing and what was he going to do now that he crashed this plane to get him out of this mess? It's nice to know that like shitty politicians are universal doesn't matter what country you're in there's terrible there's terrible politicians who feels like the world owes them things uh and he's actually sleeping with the the businessman's wife who at first which i thought i was i thought i was losing character names at first 
And then I was like, nope, he is definitely banging that dude's wife. Yeah. Also, half of them don't have names. Yeah, that's kind of true. Does the I don't think the uh, the bomber has a name. I don't think the pilot is just called like, the pilot. Like when I looked, yeah. So uh, I was gonna say is yeah the the guy that's not Mister Mr. Sugi Saka. It's uh because he's the co-pilot. The pilot I think is just yeah, it's called the pilot. Yeah. Um, and a lot of characters are like Mister Tokiyasu. He doesn't have a first name, but he's the weapons contractor who's trying to get this contract. And and there's a great scene where the weapons contractor who's pissed off about this guy, you know, sleeping with his wife and you know basically accepting his bribes and not offering him any any um of the things that he wants, the contracts that he wants, um. He uh, outs uh, the biggest asshole in the movie. Maybe bigger than, uh, almost bigger than the aliens. He's the second biggest asshole in the movie next to the squid alien, or the slug aliens. Mono, who's a senator, and he's just like desperate for water. Uh, Tokiyasu, uh, the weapons contractor, got him drunk. And now the guy is drunk and just like needs water because he's dehydrated because he's like sobering up or whatever. We get to see... These characters, we get to start see why they have such a dramatic, fraught relationship. So it's interesting that you think that Mr. Manos is the worst person in this movie besides potentially the assassin because the the movie thinks that the contractor is worse, I think. Which I would agree with you. I think Mr. Manos is worse uh, in general just because he's just, you know, sleazy politician. But when the weapon contractor gets shot, his wife is like, good. He was a terrible asshole who was bribing politicians, uh, would do anything for them to get his way, even uh, make me have sex with this politician. He was garbage. But she also says, but he didn't deserve to die this way. True. Well, no, but she does say, good, I'm glad he's dead. But she does say. Maybe not that way. didn't think it. Yeah, I don't know. He deserves she's, to she's, die. She's a mixed opinions. Yeah. Before she goes to die, she has she's a mixed opinions. Her husband just died. I feel like the movie is taking I I don't know. I it's hard it's hard to gauge. I think they're both pretty big assholes. I feel like the movie thinks that the weapon contractor is slightly worse. Well, the movie does hate war more than anything, and I think it sees that the senator and the weapon contractor are both uh culpable for the violence that they're they're causing indirectly. Uh, yeah, let's 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 talk about that before we before we wrap this up or think of final thoughts or little moments that we missed. I I really want to talk about that because that feel the the anti-war message in this, which is fine, uh, but it, it gives heavy-handed a bad name. <laughs> but it's heavy-handed. But I don't entirely understand what's even going on. I mean, I know it's anti-war. I know that it hates. It hates violence and it and that it's saying, you know, we brought this on ourselves. I don't think it, it, it keeps playing Vietnam War footage. I don't know what it specifically has to say about Vietnam War, except for it's bad. Yeah, in the way that Godzilla was kind of this for its time elegant anti war, anti atomic age metaphor, this this is this is not. It's a it's a better it's a much better movie than this, but it feels a little bit like Burdemic's like little imagined piece interlogs. Where uh, I don't know if you've seen Birdemic. Oh, I've seen Birdemic. Yeah, I was. I for some reason thought of Birdemic. Oh, it was because the the Suicide Birds. Well, it was the birds that did it. 
<laughs> um, yeah, the, the birds are actually the cause of all this. Uh, yeah, but the you know the way that they have in Birdemic, the occasional like the one guy's girlfriend works at like the Imagine Peace Foundation, and that's like a little thing that shows up. And every time it shows up in the movie, even though like the rest of the movie functions fine, is like like this for a bad movie, a metaphor for like global warming and destruction and stuff like that. The fact that then they they drive it home a couple times is kind of endlessly humorous in uh, Birdemic. I, I think that this movie does a better job of weaving its message into the plot, which is why there is a little touch of, like, overzealous cheesiness when they're cutting to, like, war footage, when they are describing about how someone's husband just died. Like, they're laying it on thick a little bit in the movie anyways, and then they're, you know, cutting to uh, red-tinted war footage is it's maybe maybe a little. Maybe a little heavy. Yeah, a little Wait, heavy. What, what was the deal with the shot? Wait, okay, so I'm going to... I'm gonna sort of make a broader statement about the movie uh everybody is a, a piss poor shot in the movie everybody just shoots at the at each other not shoot with each other <laughs> <laughs> they're just shooting at each other in the plane yeah um while the plane is in the air the just no matter what people are just shooting at each other the shots never land and in any other movie a shot of somebody pointing a gun at a crowd and then the that cuts back to him shooting, firing the gun would mean that somebody got hit and it cuts back. Like people are just like, Oh, that was scary. Why'd you do that? <laughs> um, but there's a shot where a woman, the, the American woman, basically they all decide that they, well, half of them decide that like, Oh, maybe we need to sacrifice somebody to this, the alien. Maybe if they take them, then we're good. Uh, which I don't really get the logic there. And they come to that logic very quickly. I mean, if a plane crashes, either you're sacrificing someone or you're eating someone. That's like, that's what you do in plane crashes. And this movie is so unconcerned with like the the mechanics of survival. Like only the politician is concerned with water. Only the politician and the war profiteer are concerned with water. Everybody else is like, I mean, we'll get it when we get it. (laughs) But anyways, so the American woman, because she doesn't want to be sacrificed, fires a gun at Suki, uh, Sugi Saka, uh, the pilot, and it hits him in his arm. Finally, somebody gets hit in the movie. Finally. And then blood drops onto a picture of a GI. <laughs> I have no idea what the hell is going on there. Uh, wasn't that her husband's, uh, the American woman's uh, husband? Yes, I think it is the husband. Why is that happening? <laughs> well, the whole because the whole thing is then she tries to save the assassin later because he has so you know that he has the bloody forehead vagina that that indicates of that course. he's that indicates to every moviegoer that he is possessed and indicates to everyone in the um in the movie that he had an accident and fell down and hurt his head just a, just a little head injury. Uh, but everyone's like, look, this is the assassin. He had a gun. He was trying to kill us on the plane. And then he wandered off. And now he's got this giant hole in his head. No, we're not letting him in there. And she, and she's like, but I, I have to save him. My husband died of a head wound and his forehead reminds me of that. So that's her motivation. That's how he gets on the plane to cause more damage before they, uh, they kill him. And I guess they wanted to underline that again. Like, this is what her husband looks like with red on on his face. So weird. It's such a weird choice because it's like, guys, we get it. Everything about the anti-war message sounds – it feels like – someone who made the movie had never heard of the concept of war and someone quickly explained war to them and what it would mean to be anti-war and then he's like got it 
I know how I'm going to show this on screen. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Uh, compared to c- compared to Godzilla, which is like somewhat elegant, pretty clumsy. Clumsy in, a, clumsy in a very humorous way. I don't think it detracts. I think when there's this much going on on screen and everything's moving so quickly, like I don't mind. It's like, oh, shit, fuck, why not? There's an anti-war, like a very heavy-handed anti-war message, but... You know, that's going to be done in 30 seconds and they're going to probably introduce something new and crazy. Like it it works as part of the overall experience uh, when there's so much going on that why the fuck not have an anti-war message hammered over your head repeatedly? It's kind of it's true. And I'm not someone who gets offended by lack of subtlety in movies like I. it's just not something that I particularly value i don't particularly value subtlety of messages i i think there's a i think that subtlety uh good for nuance i think that if you're it depends on what audience you're approaching if you're approaching a broader audience then having a broader sense of discussion that you want to sort of cross um class lines cross age lines cross um maybe even international and language and cultural lines being sort of broad it works so I think this has probably been our most – this month is going to be interesting, I think, because as indicated by this episode, when a movie is not – has a bunch of different plot elements but not necessarily that much of a plot thread, I guess we just we just talk for a while. Uh, I think we're – you, if you're listening, you may go, you guys are always this disjointed. I think we're a little better at going from point A to point B. This this felt like a lot of interesting discussions that really has no cohesive value. Um, it's like we were moving from something to to something else. But uh, – so having said that, is there is there any little moments, any little parts that we didn't touch on before we do final thoughts that you thought would be worth uh, mentioning? You know, I think we kind of tackled everything. I think that the uh, the interesting thing about the movie is that it act- it's funny when these movies accidentally do something. And it accidentally taught me that the lead people in the movie are completely inconvenienced by being moral. Yep. Um, they just continually trust um, Mono and by forgiving Mono and the politician, the war profiteer and trying to help people continually fucks them over. And no, everyone just kind of seems to, especially the, the our, our heroes, just kind of is like, well, here they go again. I wonder what's going to happen. Like, there's not much an intervention to help save people. Everyone just kind of lets everyone do their thing, even when it's uh, hurtful to the team as a whole or is hurtful to themselves. Like no one steps in to help anyone. It is weird how you have a, all these crazy people on uh, with these like kind of interesting backstories and everyone's just like, well, what just because we're surrounded by lunatics on this island, just live and let live, man. <laughs> exactly. Everybody's pretty pretty chill, and pa- the the main couple characters are pretty chill and pretty pacifist, which is kind of interesting because they're just surrounded by assholes. Yeah, uh, and yeah, they never leave. Like once they even say like, because uh, they find out pretty early that oh. They're not looking for us because uh, they, they intercept a radio transmission that basically says that they think because the plane was hijacked, they think the plane is somewhere else. And then no one really makes a move to leave the plane. Like, it made sense to play, stay with the plane when you thought people were looking for you. And then it's just, well, I guess let's just stay here with all these crazy people. There's way too much. There's way too much going on right now to formulate a plan of escape, guys. There's so much things to deal with. <laughs> Wait, wh- why also do they... Are they staying on the burning plane? 
at the very beginning of the movie. Why wouldn't they just like leave? Why would why would you leave a plane? Uh, the plane that's on fire. <laughs> they wanted to check uh, that everyone else was dead. Actually, that's my little that's my one little moment. It's so funny, but it's it normal for a movie with like this kind of budget and like obviously the the um, the airplane set is like one step above an Ed Wood airplane set, but it's fine. It works for the movie. There's a there's a line at the beginning of the movie where so basically you meet all these characters and then the plane crashes and then all these characters essentially survive the plane crash. One of them goes, "Yep, I looked around." everyone else is dead we never saw anyone else on this plane you we we only saw you guys there was more people on this plane and it's weird because it's like why not just make it a smaller smaller plane like why why do we need other bodies just thrown in the mix yeah that's why it was funny because i i bought that this was a 10 passenger you know 15 passenger flight the idea just a not filled plane yeah the idea that it, uh, it, it that according to the movie there was scores of passengers that didn't make it is is kind of a unnecessary funny. So yeah, uh, again, I I really love this movie. Um, I wish it wasn't as hard to watch in that it's on Hulu right now and pretty much nowhere else. I was just gonna rent it on Amazon, not there. No, uh, I mean, you can buy the DVD set, which is Eclipse number 37 from Criterion Collection. Uh, That's where I saw it first. And then Hulu, but all these these Criterion films, I know they're going to another site that who knows if it's going to be as convenient to access as Hulu. But yeah, I would – if you haven't seen this, watch it. I know know there's actually been – there's been a lot of people in the Dissolve group on Facebook who have watched it. And I will say that there is people that have – some people that have really liked it, some people that over the last year or so that we've been in there and I, you know, people have been talking about this movie and I've noticed, you know, there's definitely a lot of people that are like, uh, okay. And I get that when you, when you have a movie, a kitchen sink movie, so to speak, there's, there's a lot going on, but uh, I fucking love these types of movies. Love any movie that does a, a crazy Twilight Zone ending. I mean, this, this movie's a lot of fun, legitimately scary at times, and leaves you with, like, a lot on your plate to digest. I think that's a perfect way to cap it, Aaron. Uh, yeah, so that was our first episode of Kitchen Sink. Uh, bug Nuts, whatever you want to call it is fine. We will accept any and all, whatever you want to call our theme months. Uh, as long as you put them in five-star reviews on Amazon.com. Not Amazon, <laughs> iTunes. Oh, Amazon's fine. We're not on there. But you can you can write a review in someone else's product about our about our show. Give it five stars. That'd be great. That'd be wonderful. We'd love that. Really confusing. Uh so yeah, so the <laughs> so the rest of this month we, we kind of finally have locked down, so we'll go through the schedule quickly. Next week we're gonna be doing Southland Tales. So if you thought that this was a disjointed episode, I, I haven't I haven't seen it since it came out ten years ago. I imagine that is going to be a clusterfuck of an episode and hopefully a lot of fun long too yeah this one was 84 minutes and more than likely this podcast when edited down will be longer than that uh selling tales like three hours so i it's not going to be comprehensive but we will definitely be talking about uh some of our favorite parts and i i kind of anticipate at least 45 minutes just on the justin timberlake the justin timberlake uh lip sync song because that has stayed with me for 10 years I haven't seen the movie since I was uh, 15, so I have no idea what you're talking about. It did not stay with Peter. (laughs) Yeah, and then the following week, we are going to be doing Haosu, and we are going to be joined. We're really excited about this. Bridget Taylor uh, from the Dissolve group will be joining us. She has not seen Haosu. I saw it for the first time last year, and Peter, random guess, has seen it 800 times. 
Uh, yeah, I've watched I watched it for Shocktober 2015, so I've seen it the first time fairly recently, and I really, really love it. Oh, shit, that's right. We both saw it for the first time last October. I- yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. It was, it was, uh, uh, I'm really looking forward to revisiting it now that I kind of know what it is. Yeah, I'm a little scared to revisit it because I, I'm, I'm literally intimidated to talk about that movie. Uh, so I'm glad we're going to have someone as smart and articulate as Bridget on to kind of walk us through this because I just, there's so much going on in a way that I, don't understand and then uh yeah the 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 last week we're going to be joined by dustin koski who's been doing so much great work and helping us out with the with the youtube page that we have um he's going to be joining us again our our second returning guest and we're going to be talking about fantastic planet a film that neither peter and i have seen and uh so that's going to be the that's going to be bug nuts kitchen sink so uh, we're, we're looking forward to figuring out what the hell uh how the hell to talk about these movies yeah, uh, we failed the first one. Maybe we'll get it by Fantastic Planet. <laughs> We're really excited about this month. Uh, it's kind of a change of pace. Maybe not really. We'll, we, we're going to have even more varied months to come, so keep it tuned right here. Same uh, iTunes button. There really there really just isn't a good like same same time, same channel thing with podcasts, is there? No, there's not. Should I give, should I give up the dream? Um, you should never get the dream because I love your mumbly, mumbly endings to the end of these episodes. Well, that hurt. <laughs> Good night, Aaron. Good night. I can't get your body out of my mind. I can't get your body. I can't get your body out of my mind. I can't get your body. She goes folks thanks for listening to we love to watch if you want to get in touch with us please reach out to us at either our website wltwpodcast.com or our facebook group facebook.com backslash we love to watch and uh yeah reach out to us give us some feedback give us some support uh, suggest movies for the show all that we are also available on soundcloud TuneIn, stitcher and itunes thanks for listening